Guys, I, Salt Company, hi. Like, I haven't been up here in a long stinking time. It's been like a month. It's good to see you guys. Like, this is, this is fun. And I, I'm excited to, to jump back into Colossians. So if you were like, hey, Jordan, so we, we've been doing Colossians and then we did Genesis last week. Was that like planned or intentional? Nah. So Dave called me on Monday and was like, hey, dude, I'm not going to teach Colossians. I'm going to teach Genesis. That cool? And it's like, all right, man, go for it. I guess that's what happens when your buddy's teaching a salt company. So tonight I'm going to take what should have been Dave's text last week and my text, and we're just going to go for this. And here's the deal. I might make you think a little bit, all right? I'm sorry. I know it's almost break. You can do it. It'll be worth it. But yeah, so we're in Colossians 2, uh, 15 through 311. And I'm not going to be able to, it's such a long text. I'm not going to be able to like read the whole thing to you, but Guys, it's so sweet. I'd love for you to check it out on your own. Uh, but I, I think if I were to summarize that, it actually fits pretty well together. I think this is what I would say is this text is about how do you live the Christian life? How do you live the Christian life? And I want to get at it from like one of my like favorite angles to think about stuff. This question is always rolling, out, rolling around in my mind. How do people change? How do, you, how do you change from being an unbeliever to a believer, from being an immature believer to a, a mature believer? How does that, that process happen? And, and I, think, I think human beings are hilarious because we all like, want to change. You all know what it's like to have this like, future vision of yourself, like this person that you want to be, but we're really bad at it. Like Some of you have heard me say this before. How are your New Year's resolutions going from last year? Pretty good? Like, going well? <laughs> one. <laughs> one dude did it. But, like, I don't even remember what mine was. And, and, and so this is what we do, is we have this vision for who we want to be, and then we say, okay, I'm going to go be that person, and then we don't have a clue how to actually do it. And there's a, there's a few answers that, that you'll kind of you'll see in the world. One of them is acceptance, right? Like, don't worry about changing yourself. Just kind of accept who you are, love who you are, and everything will be fine. But what about the messed up stuff in your life? Are you not going to address that? Or, or I don't know, like there, there's plenty of other stuff. I've gone on a few kicks. So I went through like a self-help book kick, which actually that sounds a little depressing as I say that. I was fine, guys. I just wanted to improve. Um, self-help book kick. And then I went on a motivational speaker kick. Did you ever have motivational speakers come to like your high school, like in your auditorium? Is that like a thing that happened to you? That was a thing that happened to me. And it's, it's weird, man. Like these are, these are people who for a living just go somewhere and they kind of yell these weird catchphrases and then that's it. Like they just get paid to do that. But I was like super into that for a while. There was this dude named Bill Cordes, the yoga whippy guy. Yoga whippy was like his little catchphrase. You, I, you only get out what you put in. And he literally had us grab our friends' faces and just yell, you only get out what you put in. And I, I don't know why. I don't know what that was for, but it, I, I was hyped up and it seemed like it was going to be great. And so it's like, yeah, like, let's do this thing. I'm going to put stuff into stuff. I don't know. And, and so then I got hyped up on this guy. And then I went to this, this conference thing that was called Breakthrough. And so I, I, I walk into this conference and it's like pitch black in the room, except for a few lights up on this stage. And there's the yoga whippy guy in like a sweatsuit. 
And I'm like, all right, this is getting weird, but I'm gonna get into this. And so he's on stage and he's just yelling, breakthrough. All right, so like we all walk forward and we're kind of like saying breakthrough and I don't know what this means. And then they bring out these like little like one by one like blocks of wood. And they're like, all right, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna, you're gonna write like what you don't like about your life on the front side. And then on the back side, you're gonna write like what you want your life to be. And I start to realize we're about to like smash these wood blocks. Like we're like break through. So he's got us like in a line and he's like, all right, do this with me. All right, break through, break through. And then we like one by one, like walked up into this spotlight to have like, to like break through our little block of wood. And, and my thing that I wanted to break through was like not caring what people thought of me. And in the moment, I was very afraid of not breaking the wood because I thought people would think I was dumb. And I'm like, this seems like a contradiction, but fine. And so I get up there and I like break through this block of wood. It was awesome. Yeah, I broke it. Uh, I chest bumped a dude. It was a thing. And I'm like hyped. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And I'm not going to care what people think. And I have this new life. And then that, it just, that was it. Like that was all, yeah, huh? Yeah, I agree. That's actually the correct reaction. I appreciate that. It was just a letdown. And so like, I'm, I'm like hyped up. I'm ready to like attack life. And then I go home and I just have this piece of wood with stuff written on it that's broken. And I don't know like how this helps my life. Like how does this help me be any different? And so there was just this piece of wood in my closet. And I was the same person. We want to change, but we don't actually know how. And, and I, I want to make kind of a couple like bigger statements to you tonight about Christianity. The first one is Christianity actually can change you. It actually can change everything about your life it can be what it can do for you what everybody else is seeking in like stupid stuff that doesn't work it actually can work but the second thing is <laughs> is a lot of us don't actually know how to let christianity change us and the way we do christianity is about as effective as that conference was for me so Christianity doesn't work well for a lot of you because the vast majority of you have fundamentally misunderstood what it means to live the Christian life. Like, and, and a lot of you were taught to live it this way. Like the way that you were taught to be a Christian, the method that you've used for your entire life to change yourself is completely and utterly useless. Okay, so hopefully I have your attention. So this is, this is where we're going. First, I want to talk to you about the false teaching in Colossae and how it's the wrong way to change, how it doesn't work, and, and what that means for our lives. And then second, I want, to, I want to talk to you about the way that Christians should live. What should the Christian life look like? And then third, what's real change? Like, how do we actually begin to live that life that we should be living? All right, so the first one, false teachers and fake change, essentially. Okay, so if you remember, if you were here earlier in the semester, you might remember us talking about these false teachers that were in the city of Colossae, and they were advertising uh, sort of what, what I was calling next-level Christianity, kind of hyper-spirituality. If you remember this, like I told the story about the, the prophecy about my wife, okay, you remember that? If you weren't there for that, I know that sounds weird. I can't tell you the story now. You'll have to look it up. But 
We were talking about like hyper-spirituality and how it was this idea that if you're kind of a super spiritual Christian, then you really know what it means to live the Christian life. And so that's one component of the false teaching. Another component of the false teaching is, hey, you have to do all of these kind of religious festivals, our equivalent of you have to show up at church, you have to do small group, you have to do all of this religious stuff, and then you'll really live the Christian life. And then there was a third thing that they were saying that I want to focus more specifically on tonight, which is, which is this, hey, you got to have Christian morality, you got to behave. You got to modify your behavior so that you look Christian. And, and Paul, who wrote the letter of, of Colossians, is actually going to quote these false teachers that he's arguing with. In verse 21, it says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So we don't know exactly what this is referring to, but he's quoting the false teachers that apparently were setting up these, um, sort, of, these sort of boundaries that we're saying, look, if you, if you put boundaries around your life, if you insulate yourself from sin, then you're really going to be able to live as a Christian. If, if you make sure to put in enough discipline and self-effort, then you're going to really live the Christian life. But I want you to see what Paul says about that idea. The one that, the one that we're pretty familiar with, right? Like, in, in fact, that's how some of you were raised. Like some of you grew up in a Christian household. You went to Christian schools and essentially the message was, hey, behave, follow Christian morality. And if you don't feel really bad about it and work hard until you do. You guys know what that's like, but listen to what Paul says, verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. These being the religious rituals. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Religious rules and religious effort are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Are you catching the significance of that? Paul just dropped a bomb on religious thought. Like all that religious morality and effort is useless to actually living the Christian life. And here's why. Because the Bible says that you're dead in your sin. And trying to change yourself with good Christian morals is like putting a Band-Aid on a corpse and expecting it to come to life. So I want to talk to you about the real thing. Like, what, is, what does real change look like? What does, it, what does it look like to come to life but first I got to give you like what we're after. Like what should the Christian life look like? Okay. And so let's, let's go there. What does the Christian life look like? Well, Colossians 3. And so we're kind of shifting into Colossians 3. That was a little bit of an overview of the, the back half of Colossians 2. Colossians 3 is largely about how do you practically live the Christian life? And there's a, there's a couple sections. The, the first section are things that Christians should put off, that they should get out of their lives. And then the second section is things that Christians should put on, that they should add to their lives. So that, that second section is for the next time we meet. Uh, but we're going to focus in on what do we need to get rid of? What do we need to put off out of our lives? Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. 
So Jesus has something to say about your sexuality. And some of you are like expecting that. That's like normal to talk about in church. But some of you are like, my gosh, you guys talk about sex more than any church I've ever been to. It, 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 it's a thing. Okay, last time we were here, we, we remember what happened when Drew was speaking. Um, yeah. Uh, but here's the, here's the reason why we talk about it is the Bible talks about it. And, and I just, would you just like bear with me if you're a little bit like, hey, step off my, my sexual life. Like you're not talking to me about that. Here, here's why I want to talk to you about it is because I've actually found what the Bible has to say to be actually not that restrictive, but actually incredibly freeing and liberating. And I, I like want that for you. So Jesus has something to say about your sexuality. And, and this, this list of things is kind of a catch-all for sexual sin. That means sex before marriage, including sexualized things that aren't intercourse. Okay, I'm not going to go there, but don't give me that excuse. Well, we didn't really have sex. If you have to put the word really in, you had sex, all right? It, this, this includes like masturbation, pornography. It includes your, your thought life and what you're thinking about. And, and guys, if we're going to be honest, we, we kind of hate that God has restrictions for the way that we should live in this area. And, and I think part of the reason why we hate that is we have this misperception of God. Like he's kind of this cosmic killjoy. Like he, he's just kind of like, yeah, no fun for you. And okay, did you, did you ever have these abstinence only classes in high school? Because I did. And the... There was this lady that would come in once a week. Her name was literally Ellie. And she was like 150. And I think she had never had sex in her life. And she would come in. And this, this was the, the basic message. Sex is bad. Gross. Ew. And so, so don't do it. Because if you do it, you're going to get STDs. Statistics about STDs. Pictures of STDs. Not, there weren't pictures. I made that up. Um, but, and, and like that was the whole thing. And I feel like some of you kind of think that God is like that. I, I want to let you in on a secret. God created sex. He, he likes it. It's like, it's like a good, it was his idea. Not that, not, yeah, okay, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Uh, but it's, it's like a good it's a good thing in his sight, in the right context. And if you create something, aren't you the one that's going to know best, like the best way to use it? He gives you guidelines on it because he wants you to flourish, because he wants good things for you. And because he knows that if you let that stuff kind of invade your life, that it'll kill your heart for Jesus. That's why Paul says, to put that sin to death, to, to kill it, which is pretty harsh language, right? It, but I, I think it's because he's trying to communicate sin isn't something to mess around with. Like, like some of you let sin from your old life as Christians kind of hang around in you. You kind of treat it like it's this kind of harmless, cute little pet on a leash. And, and it's like you can kind of enjoy it when you want to, but you can control it when you want to. But here's the thing, sin is enslaving, it's addicting, and so it's actually the other way around. You're the one on the leash. Like, it's controlling you. You're not in control of it. Either you kill it or that sin kills you. So the second sin in the list 
uh, is starting in verse eight. I, can't, I won't read the whole thing. You can look at it though in verse eight. But essentially I can summarize that list as put off divisiveness. Don't be angry with people. Don't be bitter. And so let's just get right to the point. Do you have bitterness towards someone? Do you have brokenness with someone in your life? Do you have brokenness with someone in this room? Here's the thing about bitterness is it feels like it's impossible to avoid, but I want you to know that forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice because Jesus made that choice to forgive you. So the second that Jesus is bitter with you, you can be bitter towards someone else. But here's the hint, Jesus is never bitter towards you. He forgives you, he loves you unconditionally and he's told you to do the same. That's what it means to live as a Christian. And, and we don't have time to dig fully into this but I, I wanna keep talking about this in Salt Company. It's also not just individual brokenness and bitterness. This is also true on a systemic scale. So he gives this this long list of all of these different kind of nationalities and races and there's tension between all of them. Like the Greeks uh, hated the Scythians and the Jews kind of hated the Greeks and thought that they were better than the Greeks. And he lists all of them and he says, look, these divides are no longer true of you because you're in Christ. The divisions that used to define you crumble under the foot of the cross because we're together and unified in Jesus. And so the, the church should be the expression that the world wants to see right now of togetherness, of peace, of unity. And, and everybody else in the world is trying to create that, but what ends up happening is they, they isolate themselves into groups like themselves and they argue for their cause instead of kind of coming to the middle and figuring it out because only Jesus can bring that type of unity in Christ. And so I wanna be, I wanna be clear on this because I, I I, I think it's unfortunate that Christians haven't been clear enough, and I'm sorry that Christians haven't been clear enough on this. Any prejudice, hatred, division towards another person because of where they're from or the color of their skin is unchristian. Racism is sin, and it, it, you got to weed it out of your life. And this should be the place that demonstrates to the world what real peace and what real unity looks like. So, to kind of summarize, what's the, what's the Christian life? Well, the Christian life is a life of purity and it's a life of peace. Purity and that you respect and love other people as image bearers. And peace and that you don't allow any divisiveness in your life. But I, I just want to stop for a second and ask you the question, if that little section about the Christian life was an exam, how'd you do? Like, did you make it through that thing unscathed? Like, to, to summarize the, the, the purity portion, have no sexual thought or action with anyone ever that's not your spouse. How's that going? To, to summarize the other section, don't ever be angry with another person. Don't ever be bitter. Don't ever think wrongly or harshly towards someone else in your life. How's that going? Here's my point. Seems like we're bad at this. Like, Christians are kind of bad at being Christians. 
and and like that that includes me. Like I, I'm I'm with you on that. And I think I think some of that is just part of the the nature of what it means to live in a fallen world. You're going to be fighting sin for the rest of your life. It's not going to go away. But I think part of that is is we don't actually understand what it looks like to have real meaningful change in our lives. We're leaning back on self reliance, like those false teachers. We're trying to kind of work our way into Christianity to depend on ourselves because that's what we all do in life. You guys are all very self-dependent, by the way. And we tend to do that in Christianity and we keep falling short. So how do we actually change? How do we actually change? Well, look at Colossians 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life? I love that. Christ who is your life, like everything about you, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so this is an insane truth called unity with Christ. And, and we tend to talk about how we accept Jesus into our life, but I want you to know one of the primary illustrations that Jesus uses for what it means to know him is to become born again. In that illustration, you're the baby. Can you imagine a baby popping out and then trying to go choose its own parents? Like, you don't accept Jesus into your life. He accepts you into his. You get wrapped up into the community of the divine. Like, he brings you into his life with God. And, and not only that, but he hides you. That's, that's kind of the theme of our series is hidden with Christ in God. He hides you in himself so that this is, this is nuts. Don't miss this just because you've heard it before. He hides you in himself so that when God looks at you, it isn't you that he sees, he sees Jesus. Like Jesus's identity kind of wraps up and envelops you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. So I, I really like to, to golf. And uh, there's, a, there's like lots of rules in golf, but there's a couple that you really don't break. Rule number one, don't hit another human with a golf ball. So I was golfing and <laughs> I, I was with my buddy Brandon and Brandon is not the most patient person in the world. And there were some people up in front of us and he was like, oh dude, go ahead and hit, you're not gonna hit him. And I was like, I, I don't like, I think I can reach him. He's like, no, you'll be fine. Go ahead and hit him. I'm like, all right, man, your fault. Um, and so I swing and smoke this thing and it's in the air and it's going right at them. Rule number two that you don't break in golf. If you're going to hit someone with a golf ball, yell four at them so they move. Well, I was watching that thing thinking, I wonder if that's going to hit them and I forgot to yell. And so this, it's flying right at their cart. They're like sitting in their cart and, and somehow this thing lands and one hops like through the golf bags and just smokes this dude in the back of the neck and he falls out of the cart. And so he's like alive and awake and everything. It's not that bad, but he gets up and he's now real happy with me. And so him and his buddy get in the cart and they literally whip it around and start driving back towards me. And I'm like, I'm like 14 at this point And I'm like, am I about to get in a rumble on a golf course? And, and so Brandon gets out of the cart. What I haven't told you about Brandon is that Brandon is 6'8", 275 pounds of pure muscle and has a flat top. 
just terrifying dude. So Brandon gets out of the cart and these guys are driving towards us and he kind of steps up and then he just walks and he stands in front of me and I literally am like completely covered up. And he just stands in front of me and just looks at me. All, he, all he's doing is looking at him and these guys just go, and whip it around and literally just drove off the golf course. Like just, they just left. So I'm like leaning around behind Brandon like, yeah, what do you like now, man? Like, yeah, let's go. Um, so that's what it's like to be hidden in Christ. Just like that. Just like that. So this is what's true of you. Is like, you messed it up. I, I guess you, you like hit the dude with the golf ball like in sin. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't connect it that far. But you, you mess it up and there's consequences for your sin and they're coming at you. And this is what Jesus does. Is he steps in front of you and he's stronger than you. And, and like, you can't even see you. You're like consumed in him. And the consequences for your sins are just removed because he just takes it. He, he hides you in himself. Like, hear this. This is what this means. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, your sin is irrelevant to your standing before God. Okay, I don't mean it's irrelevant. Don't hear me wrong on that. I, I, like, don't just go sin because I told you to. That's not what I mean. But what I do mean is your standing before him, his love and affection towards you, his disposition towards you, your standing and identity with him is completely unaffected because of your sin. Psalm 103 says that he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is? No, that's the point. It's like, you, it's just going opposite directions. Like you, you can't even understand how much your sin just does not affect God because he's overwhelming it in his grace. Does he hate sin? Yes. Does that hatred for sin cause division between you and him? No, because you're hidden with Christ in God. But I'm afraid that that's gotten normal for you, that you don't see how insane that is because you've like heard that before. And so you just like hear that and you want to move on? and talk about something else. Like, what else are we going to talk about? That's like the truth that I'm going to base my life on. It's my only hope. It's everything that I have. There, there's this movie that I love called Goodwill Hunting. It's an old movie, but it's good. If you go watch it, watch like the made-for-TV version because it gets a little real. Um, but I, I can't tell you like the whole premise of the movie, but essentially there's this scene where Matt Damon and Robin Williams are, are talking and Matt Damon is like this punk kid that um, has like, he's got a rough background, right? And, and he's essentially been defensive his whole life and never let people in and Robin Williams is a counselor and, he, and he's, he's holding this like sheet of all the stuff that's happened to, to Will, this, this guy that's kind of never let anybody in, never let his defenses down. And Robin Williams just goes, hey, hey man, like, this stuff is not your fault. And he goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, no, 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 you don't. Hey, this stuff, it's not your fault. And he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, no, you don't. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And eventually he just like breaks down and starts crying. What happened? Truth that he knew in his head landed in his heart. Something that he knew intellectually became real. 
and, and I'm afraid that some of you have too much truth in your head and it hasn't landed in your heart. Has it become real to you what he's done for you? Has it changed you? Have you broken down before him because of this all-encompassing love that's coming your way? And, and, and some of you, like, I just, I just want to, like, shake you and be like, wake up. Are you hearing how insane this is and what this means for your life? Because I, I wish somebody would have shaken me when I was sitting through this stuff and ignoring it. And I just want to, I just want to, like, look at you and be like, hey, it is your fault. It is. It's your fault and you're loved. It is your fault and you're loved. You're loved. That fault isn't counted against you. And that love, that love is what changes you. If you're, if you're hidden in Christ, what used to be true of you is that you could do nothing but sin. Nothing but displease God. But now what's true of Jesus is more true of you than your sin. Now obeying Jesus is your true nature, your real life. And sin is just the, the, the remnants of that old life. So how does real change happen? Real change happens by remembering who you are. Not by be, like trying to become something else on your own. Real change happens by remembering who you are. So how do you pursue that real change? Like what does that actually look like? So look back at the text. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you hear that? Seek what is above. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. So if, if some of you guys were at the, the launch thing that we did in Blarney's last spring, uh, you heard me tell this story. I, I won't tell the full thing, but long story short, uh, some, some of my buddies in college my freshman year just randomly on a Wednesday night decided to take off and drive to California and we just drove straight through the night and just showed up at my buddy's house without telling him that we were coming. And then we were there for two days and we drove home. And uh, on the way there, it was my job to like stay awake and keep everybody awake. So I was just riding like Red Bull in those like Starbucks, like espresso shots. Uh, but on the way back, I actually, they actually let me sleep. And so I was sleeping and I fell asleep somewhere out West and I woke up in the Rockies. And so I woke up and didn't really know where I was. And then I, I looked out my window and it's the Rocky Mountains. And, and if you've ever like been to the Rockies or, or seen a mountain, particularly when you didn't see it coming, you, you know like that feeling, which is like you immediately forget everything else that's going on and you just go, whoa. And you're just kind of wrapped up in like, this is huge and this is amazing and, and this is beautiful. And you just get kind of wrapped up in how amazing this is, right? But did you know that you can be 10 feet away from the Rockies and not see them? You know how? If you take a sheet of paper and you go like this, that's how you can't see the Rockies when you're right next to them. This is some of your strategies for fighting sin. You're gonna take your sin 
You're going to put it on a list and you're going to stare at it and you're going to try and fix it. And this is what I'm saying is like, if you're looking at you, if you're looking at what you need to change, what you need to do, you're missing the Rockies. Like, like there's this amazing, beautiful, powerful, wonderful God that wants to change everything about your life, that wants to conform you into the image of, of his son. And you're looking at yourself and I want to invite you into a better life. Get your eyes off of you and fix your eyes on him. That's what it looks like to change. And I know that's intangible, but I'm not going to give you a to-do list to leave and go do your thing to try and fix yourself. That'd be self-defeating. I'm saying this, you become what you behold. Behold the God of the universe and you're going to start to look like him. If you look at you and your sin, you're going to sin more. If you look at him, you're going to be overwhelmed by how amazing he is and what his love for you is like. And you're going to follow him. You're going to change. You become what you behold. You change by remembering who you are and what he's done for you. And so just real quick, this is, this is what I want to, want to suggest this could look like. Is, and, and Keith, we have like a graph, graphic thing for this. I went too long, so we're just going to ditch it. I'll show it to you guys some other time. So let me just, let me just summarize this. Um, think about the last time that you sinned. And like, you know, well, maybe not the last time you sinned. The last time you sinned in like a really specific way, like that, that you're not proud of. How did you respond? What did you feel? My guess is you were probably feeling shame. And then you responded to that shame by running from God. Either you covered up your sin or you minimized it or you hid it. And I just, I want to invite you to do something different the next time you sin. I want you to think about your response to sin. And I want you to, I want to invite you to do this. To recognize that sin. To repent of it. Which means to just say, this isn't who I am anymore. I'm dead to that way of living. I'm alive to a new life. Which also involves confessing that sin to other people. And I, I want to challenge you. Would you do that this week in Connection Group? If you're not in one, get in one. It's a place where you can just be real about struggles in your life. And, and ladies in particular, I, I, want to, I want to talk to you. Like, so that the sexual sin stuff can be kind of a, a taboo, particularly like porn and stuff like that. And it can kind of be seen as like a guy's thing. You struggle too. And you're not alone in that. And if, if people would just like lead, lead out in being real about that, you'd find out that other people are struggling with you and they could help you. But so would you just recognize your sin? Would you own it, repent of it, confess it, and then remember everything that God has done for you? And just rejoice in the fact that he loves you. Not, not sit in shame, not kind of run away and hide, but just celebrate the fact that he loves you. And this, the part of this text I want to end on is verse four. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a day coming when you're not going to have to fight anymore. You're just going to obey because you love Jesus. But until that day, keep working, keep going, keep looking, keep beholding. Because knowing Jesus is worth it. It's a better life. And he can change you. Let me pray.
I'm so thankful for that truth, Jesus, because I feel like I'm hopeless without you. Like I've, I've tried so many ways to be impressive, to, to change myself, to, yeah, whatever. And I've just, I've failed. And then I met you. And I'm, I'm not who I want to be. There's messed up stuff in my life. But I'm not who I used to be. And, and you did that. And I, I praise you for it. And I want you to do that in us. Like help us to change, not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at you. Help us to behold how amazing you are and just look at you and enjoy you. And, and God, would that start now? Uh, Jesus, we repent of when we get together and we sing songs, but don't actually worship because you're too amazing to do that. And I do that in my heart. We, we do that as Salt Company, we turn from that and now we want to look at you and remember how good you've been to us and we want to rejoice because you deserve it. So be honored, be worshipped here. Amen.